1: Welcome, everyone, back to BAMS Radio, and uh, we're back with you. It's been a while uh, since before the national championship game. Uh, we uh, were last with you, but uh, we had to go on an extended break. Uh, our wizard extraordinaire, Thomas Watts, had to do some traveling and some business. And, uh, we and of course, I've been busy covering basketball and, and uh, of course, uh, with my regular job uh, at 97.7 The Zone ESPN. 97.7 The Zone, talking ball, and uh, and also uh, William Barger. Uh, of course, he's also been very busy following the Crimson Tide, and uh, he's back with us. He's our uh, third, uh, you know, amigo, uh, former national champion in 1992 and uh, a part of the program uh, from 1989 through 1993. And it was a, it's been a cool. I got the chance to reconnect with one of his former teammates, Antonio Langham, the other day who spoke to our North Alabama Tide fans group. And, uh, but it's great to be with both Thomas tonight, as he's the co-host and producer of this show, and William. Uh, William, I know uh, it's uh, been kind of tough in the aftermath of the national championship game. It certainly did not unfold like any of us could have thought when we last uh, spoke.
0: Excuse me. No, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm as guilty as anybody for... Uh, you know, missing how I thought that game would play out and, and the, the elements that would go into, uh, you know, how that game would play out. I, I really didn't think that Clemson's uh, offensive line could match up and, and handle Alabama's defensive line. That was the, the biggest mismatch that I thought saw. And, and also as well, I thought Clemson's, uh, you know, secondary was going to be a mismatch for Alabama's wide receivers and uh, that, that, that really didn't come into play a whole hell of a lot. But, um, you know, it is what it is. I mean, you know, I, 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 would, I personally would rather, um, you know, Drew, you know, get, get my ass whipped like they did versus, you know, losing a heartbreaker on the last play of the game, um, you know, like they did, I guess, two years ago when Deshaun Watson, you know, threw that, that pass on the final play of the game in regulation. So, you know, there's a lot of things that can be learned football-wise from that performance. Um, you know, I think there's plenty of blame to go around. Um, I think certainly you're seeing the the ramifications of uh, of the coaching staff and how Nick Saban, um, you, you know, is, is handling that whole deal. And I think some of these things were, you know, certainly in play um, with some of the, the coaches um, that, that, you know, possibly – um, had already been told to go look for another job, um, you know, prior to that game that maybe he felt like were bad fits. I think what we're looking at, Drew, and I think you'll agree, is, um, you know, after a, a subpar recruiting year um, at this time last year, I think he saw Coach Saban go out and bring in some, some young guys that he felt like could go out and recruit that, you know, might be the next, you know, Tosh Lapoy, Jeremy Pruitt, Mario Cristobal, you know, just tossing some of the elite recruiters out there that have been a part of the the Alabama program under Nick Saban. And, uh, you know, they certainly answered the bell this year if you see how this thing's going to play out between now and the first Wednesday in February. But, you know, since that game and and since the departures and the hires that have already been made, it also seems like there's going to be a a little bit of a mix, uh, you know, coming in for the 2019 coaching staff with you know some familiar faces. Uh, I do think there's some you know younger guys mixed in there, uh, but but certainly I think probably the most interesting and retreat intriguing coaching staff of the Nick Saban coaching era. And I think there'll be a lot of talking points, um, both positively and, and negative, you know negative as well. Um, when you start looking how this coaching staff starting to take shape and I think probably as an Alabama fan the best thing that could be said um, about both the 2019 recruiting class and how the shake up and change on the coaching staff has taken place since that national championship game I think as an Alabama fan you know the best thing that you can say is to take a deep breath and uh, you know thank the Lord that there is such a thing now as the early signing period
1: Mm -hmm. that's a great point and I just think overall, when you look at it, and of course there's been so much conversation everywhere about what went wrong and, and p- trying to place blame. I, I, I certainly uh, am, am not going to jump on the bandwagon that a lot of people have and criticize Mike Oxley a lot because bottom line is he won the Frank Broyles Award. They were really good on offense most of the year. Now, all year long, they did struggle in the red zone a little bit, and I think that was because – they didn't stick with the run. And in some cases, it was personnel. I felt like that. I don't understand, I still don't, why early in the year, Josh Jacobs was such a beast in the red zone as, as a goal line running back. And and I have a lot of respect for Damian Harris. He was a captain, a great player. But then they decide to start sticking Damian Harrison on the goal line when it was obvious Josh Jacobs, you know, they went, They went. late in the season, he became the wildcat running back. And in a lot of short yardage situations, he would never be denied. So to me, they should have kept using him in the red zone. I think that was maybe a, a tactical error there uh, and, and could be another reason for the shakeup. But I, I will say this, Mike Loxley did a hell of a job recruiting, uh, and that's one reason why he, that Nick Saban wanted him to stay. And uh, he really helped to, you know, keep the recruiting class together uh, with Evan Neal and Trey Sanders also uh, leaving Keelan Robinson alone, DeMarco Hellams, uh Shane Lee, all those guys uh, from the DMV area, and Darian Dalcourt. Uh, and and unlike uh, Kirby Freeze, I mean, smart, he kind of, you know, left on good terms. And he much like Jeremy Pruitt did, he did things the right way. And, again, but you can't blame, put all the blame on him on offense. Again, I think uh, it's, it was kind of a, uh, Staff wide, and I think that's why you've seen so much change on that side of the ball. Uh, because Mike woxley got a, a chance to be the coach at Maryland, richly deserved. W- wish him all the luck in the world. But uh, just like jo- I think, uh, even though he did a good job, you know, uh, you know, with uh, you know the wide receivers, uh, you-, you see, uh, you know, uh, he-, he he moves the the wide receivers coach moves on Josh Gaddis to. To Michigan, he, he wanted to be a play caller and an offensive coordinator. He wasn't ready for that in Nick Saban's mind at Alabama. he's getting that opportunity at Michigan. But I think what happens, and I think you know this, how this works, William, when a guy like Michael Oxley is trying to put a staff together at Maryland, just like Jeremy Pruitt the year before, Wesley neighbors stepped in for Pruitt and it was, and they didn't lose anything. But I think when uh, when, uh, when uh, uh, Michael Oxley was busy a little bit with the rest of it. I think they, they put a little bit more on Dan Enos and Josh Gaddis, and they didn't come through to Nick Saban's satisfaction. The one thing that I've been surprised with in all this staff shakeup is Dan Enos not being offensive coordinator. But We've heard some things that, that went on behind the scenes about, uh, you know, uh, maybe uh, he and Nick Saban uh, agreed to the money uh, at first when when Loxley took the Maryland job, but then he gave more game planning responsibility to Ah, uh, Dan Enos to Josh Gaddis. didn't really like what he saw, and then you know, and then Dan Enos was trying to be heavy-handed and bringing in the new offensive staff, which I don't think pleased Nick Saban. Nick Saban comes back when they meet, and and, and you know, lowballs him by three hundred grand on the money, which sends Dan Enos a message. And he knew Dan Enos was being courted by Miami and Georgia. He goes to Miami for one point five million. So, and now we get Steve Sarkeesian coming in as quarterback coach and OC. So. And I think also you brought up a point, William. Uh, I think Nick Saban's trying to get back to his roots a little bit with some coaches that he trusts. And I think he felt like they lost their edge physically uh, in the red zone. And and I think he wants to go to more pro style principles uh, with the offense and in next season going into the year. But I just thought it was some very interesting stuff. And I know Tosh LePoy has been a big topic of conversation because of the defense. He struggled, obviously, coordinating it. Pete Golding, it's now been established, took over at some point around midseason, calling the defenses. I'm not going to get on Tosh either because Tosh did a hell of a job recruiting, was a hell of a coach. It's just one of those things, William, I think it was the perfect storm. You can't continue to lose coaches. And I think a great point that was made in the offseason was this whole defensive staff Nobody knew Nick Saban's system. And I think that came to kind of rear its ugly head as the year went on. Alabama played good defense to some standards, but not to Nick Saban's. And I've I've just never seen him react the way he did in that national championship game. You could tell that he just was not pleased with his team on either side of the ball. And then they just get hammered like that against Clemson.
0: Well, I mean, one thing I will say that, you know, I kind of, you know, been told, you know, prior to the Clemson game, and, and unfortunately I didn't pay a lot of attention to it, and I've since been told uh, by a couple of other people in the coaching business since that game. Uh, but, but one thing that, you know, I, I, and I think this played into what you just said about, you know, Dan Enos, you know, getting uh, some additional responsibilities uh, you know, once Mike Loxley got the, the nod for the, the Maryland head coaching job, at, you, know, cu- you know, by a couple of different people, um, I had been told that, that uh, Loxley, was, from, from a defensive standpoint, Loxley was very predictable um, once he got beyond plus territory and what that means right. in football terms is. Mm-hmm. You know, once he got inside the 40-yard line going into the, the red zone, that he became very predictable
1: tendencies
0: um, yeah. coaches, Tendencies that were there by formation recognition, you know, that made it very easy for the Mississippi States, the LSUs, the Georgias, you know, the, the, the good defensive teams that they played and there wasn't a lot of them this year, maybe four, possibly five top 30 defenses. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I do think that, you know, once Dan Enos got the, uh, you know, the additional responsibilities for the Oklahoma and uh, Clemson game, that, that became even, you know, more exaggerated. Now, I will say this, um, I think that going from, you know, going back to what, you know, we can all agree on, Drew, that it was going to be, you know, predetermined once Mike Loxley got the head coaching job at Maryland, um, that it was going to be Dan Enos next up. I think that was a – um, maybe a bad fit, so to speak. I mean, you're going from a guy that comes from a RPO spread offense mindset, Mike Loxley, to a guy in Dan Enos that I thought was, you know, probably should have been the guy that took over for Jim McElwain um, in 2012. I mean, Dan Enos is a pro-style uh, you know, ground and pound, throw the ball, you know, take shots deep, utilize the tight end. But, you know, Nick Saban went away from those principles somewhere around 2013, probably around the same time that he brought Nick – I mean, uh, Lane Kiffin in as the offensive coordinator. And, uh, you know, I'll say the same thing on the other side of the football. Um, you know, there's there's been a lot of scuttlebutt and talk and, and – uh, you know, when, when, when Nick Saban brought, you know, Craig Kugliowski in as the defensive line coach uh, last spring, um, I was very excited and, and, and thought it was a great hire. But at the same time, looking back on it retrospectively, um, you know, this is the first time he's ever been asked to, uh, you know, be a coach in a 3-4 gap controlled defense. You know, he's always been a 4-3 guy you know, more in the lines of, you know, somebody that the listeners can, can identify with to, you know, what Butch Davis liked to do with his front seven. You know, the, the defensive line penetrates, gets up the field, you know, causes disruption and the linebackers clean the plays up. So um, I, I'm not going to point the finger at any of these assistant coaches, um, you know, and, and, you know, call me a bad bammer, whatever you want to, um, if you want to point the blame at anybody, I think this is um, some chinks in the armor, at least in the last 18 months, and some bad calls that Nick Saban has made. I mean, you, you don't um, – now, you know, if they do choose to go, Drew, I think you know, this is something to be uh, kind of tuned into going forward. I mean, you know, if Nick Saban has decided, um, and I think it's obvious if you're bringing Steve Sarkeesian in, You know, if he wants to segue back, and there's two reasons for this. I mean, number one, maybe he wants to have a guy come in, which Sarkeesian is adept at. He's going to be more run-heavy, you know, even with his counterpart at USC and and Lane Kiffin. um, You know, and I don't keep up with the NFL, so I'm not going to comment on what did go good or bad for him while he was the, the OC with the Falcons but, you know, Sarkisian is a, a more, you know, run-heavy guy. He's a more pro-style guy, uh, going back to what you said, and then maybe that's what Nick Saban wants to, you know, get back to. Um, it's still an effective offense, and it protects his defense, uh, but it, it really is polar opposite of what he's done um, as a head coach allowing the you know, offensive coordinators, um, you know, to do for the last several years, which is why I thought um, Brian Dayball coming in last year was kind of a bizarre hire because, you know, that's what he was. So, you know, I, I in my experience with the game of football, Drew, um, going back to the Clemson game, when something like that happens, yeah, it certainly does send you back to the drawing board, Um And, you know, my one and only experience with a game like that at the collegiate level was a game that didn't even really matter. Um, You know, we were a a four-loss team going into that game, and and nobody really cared about it, including, you know, Gene Stallings. Uh, But it was the 1990 Fiesta Bowl, Um, and you didn't really see any philosophical changes, um, you know, based on that ass-whipping out there in the Fiesta Bowl that we all took. But – what you're seeing now from Nick Saban is, you know, wholesale staff changes and maybe you do want to get back to and, you know, hit the rewind button. But, you know, there's, you know, and of course now you've got the media chiming in and I think that, you know, that that is a bigger deal now than it was, let's just say, in 2011 with Jim McElwain, um, you know, departed, Um, Alabama's offense. So, you know, that's what I want to see, Drew, is, you know, how this, you know, rewind. Um, And I think when you hit it, you know, two years in a row, um, what, uh, five or six staff changes last year. It could end up being, you know, seven or eight this year. You know, eventually that's going to catch up with you. And, you know, a lot of people are upset um, about the Paul Feinbaum tweet that came out today where, You know, he he basically said that he feels like Nick Saban's in the twilight of his career. Well, you know, of course he is. I mean, based on that, you know, his age, number one. Uh, Number two, what his, you know, short and long-term goals might be to maybe get, you know, that, that one more national championship to go down as the greatest of all time. Um but, but, but I do like the way that, that Coach Saban has responded so far with his staff hires. I mean, he's gotten some guys, um, you know, that he feels comfortable with, you know, like Sal Sinceri. Um, You know, he's worked with Sarkeesian before, you know, interviewed that guy multiple times. Um, you know, albeit I don't think it's fair to, you know, judge him for that Clemson game two years ago. He was put on short notice you know, with the way that the Kiffin had to be dismissed when he was. Um, and, and, you know, with a true freshman quarterback at the helm um, that, that wasn't really a down-the-field passer. So, you know, I think, number one, you need to step back and kind of look at the whole landscape, number one. And, yeah, there's some changes in the armors. Yes, there are. Uh, number two, there's a wonderful and, and – Maybe even Nick Saban's best recruiting class, you know, fixing to come in um, the first Wednesday in in February. Um, But but at the same time, I think it's going to be interesting to follow this thing and see how all the pieces come into play. Um, Because he's done a good job. I was a little bit concerned about this coaching staff stuff a week ago. But how it's played out since with the, uh, the addition of Huff at running back, Uh, you know, bringing in the Virginia Tech coach at wide receivers. So, you know, if we were talking about this this time last week, we would have said uh, Lance Taylor was a shoe in for the wide receivers job. That didn't turn out. I heard he was a a bomb of an interview. Um, You know, it looks more and more like either Joe Penunzio is going to go inside the office or go back to the NFL. There's not a spot left for him on the field, Um, you know, with Huff coming over at running backs and uh, the the Virginia Tech guy coming at wide receivers, it looks like Jeff Banks is going to stay on um, tight end and special teams. So, you know, now all of a sudden the focus is, you know, over there on that defensive side of the football. And I'm going to go ahead and throw my, uh, you know, pick in the hat. I really hope, you know, when you consider what this kid's done um, as a coach, you know, worked for Nick Saban. Um, in the weight room, worked for him, um, you know, in the front office as the the director of player personnel, um, you know, worked at some smaller schools as a D-line coach, and for the last two years for Ole Miss, I would really like to see him, you know, finish this coaching staff off uh, with a young up-and-comer that not only has SEC experience as a D-line coach for the last two years at Ole Miss, but he certainly knows the nuts and bolts on how the recruiting world works over there in that area of the country. And uh, let's bring Freddie Roach home as the next D line coach.
1: I was going to bring Thomas Watts into the conversation. He wanted to uh, make some points, but I will say this real quickly about the defensive line coach. Um, if they I heard, you know, Freddie Roach's name a couple of uh, over a week ago and it was pretty hot. I do think if that would, were to happen, it would probably be his outside linebackers coach. I still think he's green when it comes to D line. He's did he's done a, a a solid job at Ole Miss, but I think he'd be a good fit for the outside linebackers job. Sal Sunseri coached the D line for the, the, the Florida Gators last year and I think he could learn a lot from Sal and I think you would see Sal slide over there. But based on what I'm hearing, Freddie won't be the defensive line coach. I don't think they're going uh, to bring in the D-line coach until April. I strongly believe Bo Davis will be back uh, for his third tenure after his show cause, uh, you know, expires at the NCAA. And there's been a lot of people, some saying he wouldn't come back because of that. But I'll tell you this, he just hired – Nick Saban just hired Kyle Flood as his offensive line coach. He's very well respected, but he just had a show cause of his own from Rutgers. That expired, and that's why he'd been in the NFL. Uh, and I can tell you right now, one of the one of the big reasons that Tosh Lupoy is back in, is now in the NFL with Cleveland is to get some more seasoning. But he also had the NCAA looking close at him. It didn't get to the point of what happened with Bo Davis, uh, certainly, or what happened with Kyle Flood. But I think there was some heat on uh, on Tosh going to the NFL for Freddie Kitchens allows him to continue to mature as a coach. He can come back in a few years to college if he so chooses, or he may find a home like Freddie did in the NFL. Uh, but still, I think uh, Nick Saban was looking out for Tosh's career, uh, and I think he told him not to take a lateral move to Georgia because certainly Georgia would have wanted him. But I think he felt like he could learn a lot going to Cleveland because he did a hell of a job uh, at, at Alabama. But I think Bo Davis, a guy that's been through the wars with Nick Saban, he's been a really good fit. And and Coach Cool, let me just say this. It's not that Coach Kool is not a, gr- a good defensive line coach. What William was referring to is it just wasn't a fit with Nick Saban and, wasn't, and his coaching style wasn't a fit. You saw how good a job he did at Missouri and at Miami. It just simply didn't work with Nick Saban. And so and really that's kind of what happened with Brent Key as well. And we'll see how Kyle Flood g- uh, works out. He worked closely with Sarkeesian. I've heard some really good things about him as a teacher and an offensive line coach. We'll see how he does on the recruiting aspect. Uh, but certainly that was that's kind of peeling back the onion a little bit. But I think Bo Davis can can be a hell of a defensive line coach again for Alabama. He has the players' respect. He keeps everybody in line. And I just think overall, when you when you think about Coach Cool and the way he approached uh, kind of developing the D line, I don't think Nick Saban felt like the fit was right. And it's nothing against Coach Cool. He may end up in the NFL himself. He almost got a job with Tampa Bay last year before Alabama hired him. He'll certainly land on his feet. His, his track record is too good. It just didn't fit with Nick Saban. Sometimes you think something's going to work out, and it doesn't. Uh, but Bo Davis, I think he'd be a really good fit. But in the future, I would expect you know Freddie Roach to come back. I was hoping, honestly, that he would come back on this staff and coach middle linebackers, his former position, uh, because I was hoping that uh, Carl Scott would move on and then maybe Pete Golding would uh, coach the secondary with – with uh, of course, uh, with uh, with uh, with uh, of course, uh, who they uh, hired recently uh, as the, uh, the the other defensive backs coach, Charles Harris, uh, who uh, is a, a guy that uh, has defensive coordinator experience at Florida State and did a hell of a job this past year with the with the safeties at Tennessee. He's a really good recruiter, and so I was hoping uh, that, the, that maybe we would see uh, you know uh, Freddie Roach come in and coach that position, but. As of now, something could still happen. I don't think we're going to see Carl Scott move on. I think he and, uh, you know, uh, uh, Coach uh, Pete Golding are going to stay. But I was really hoping uh, maybe that uh, that would be where the move was made, but it wasn't made there. But I think Freddie Roach, I agree with William. He's a young coach who's paid his dues. He's been with Nick Saban twice. And I really think uh, that that, uh, that he has a chance to uh, come home at some point and really help Alabama. I just think right now, Nick Saban is wanting a mix of experienced guys that he trusts, uh, that he thinks, uh, you know, uh, well, that he, that he, uh, that he thinks uh, can come in and, and help kind of get the program back where he wants. That know his process and also be mixed in with guys like Charles Huff, who is a hell of a hire from Mississippi State at running backs coach, and also worked with Saquon Barkley at Penn State, and also uh, Holman Wiggins looks like he's going to be the wide receivers coach from Virginia Tech. So. Nick Saban finding some up-and-comers to mix in with his old vets like Sal Sanseri. I also think it's, it's big to have Vinny Sanseri back, uh, you know, coaching those DBs because I just really think, uh, you know, that, uh, that uh, Vinny it brings a lot of passion and experience uh, to the table. We had him as a regular on, our, uh, on, the, on our, uh, you know, our talking ball show this year, and he did a heck of a job. So looking forward to Vinny coming back. But I really am excited about this staff. I think it's coming together uh, but I think the last piece may not come in until April because I think if Freddie Roach were going to be the D-line coach or even outside backers, he would have already been announced because, as everybody knows, they've got a big recruiting weekend coming up this weekend led by Ismail Sopcher and Henry Toa Toa uh, and, and Brett Seether, Brett the uh, tight end prospect from Clearwater, Florida. They're all coming in this weekend, uh, so uh, they're they were going to have a big recruiting weekend in Junior Day, so they're going to want all these coaches in place uh, to be able to recruit these players. But I think that's kind of where we're at right now. I think Bo is probably the last piece, but he's got to wait out his show calls until April because the SEC, because Texas A&M also wanted to hire Bo Davis. But I think the whole league was put on notice that they were going to have to wait until Bo was cleared, and that won't happen until April. So it's going to be a really interesting few months to see where Coach Cool lands and to see if Bo Davis is that last piece. But, Thomas, I know you wanted to add your take.
0: Hold up one second, Drew, before you go to Thomas just so we can get on the same page. Sure. So based on what you're hearing right now, you think uh, Charles Kelly and Carl Scott. Charles Kelly.
1: I'm sorry. I said Harris. I'm sorry. Yes.
0: Oh, I I, I didn't even hear that. Yeah,
1: I'm sorry. So you're going to have a split
0: defensive backfield. It's going to be Charles Kelly coaching the safeties and Carl Scott coaching the corners in the secondary right and then Bo Davis is going to come in in April after the show causes over and do d line hmm. and then Sal's going to coach outside linebackers and Golding's going to be inside
1: yeah and he's going to be the and Golding's going to be the defensive coordinator I'm not super excited about Pete Golding right now I'm not going to blame him on all the defensive you know deficiencies I think you know Tosh Lepoy wasn't ready for that I think Tosh still was coordinating the defense and and uh, during the season but the, the, but uh, Pete Golding was making the calls. I'm going to trust Nick Saban on that. Uh, because, And I think another reason Bo's going to come in is because, remember, Bo Davis uh, is the reason Pete Golding's at Alabama. He called Nick Saban about him last year. And uh, Pete Golding and Bo Davis have worked together at UT San Antonio before. And, then I, and also, as we know, Pete Golding and Carl Scott are, are work very well together as well as they go back a ways in coaching. So I think Nick Saban kind of liked that mix. I was told that he, he uh, had informed Carl Scott that he was safe. It's obvious. Well, the, the way I was putting the pieces together is Pete Golding was basically heavily courted by Ole Miss as defensive coordinator before they hired Mike McIntyre. And then also uh, he was uh, heavily courted by Oklahoma before they hired Alex Grinch from uh, the, o- the Ohio State Buckeyes. So both those schools wanted Golding, but Nick Saban you know, talked him into staying. And I think the whole, the whole gist of it was, like, you're going to be the next D.C., I'm going to put the trust in you. But I think what Saban's wanting to do is surround him with guys that he trusts on defense that know his scheme. Bo Davis knows it, and so does Sal Sunseri. I think Sal Sunseri is one of the more underrated assistants. He's not a Tosh Poi level recruiter, William. I know you pointed that out. But I do think he's very solid, and I think he's just as good a coach. His results speak for themselves. The guys he's developed uh, in the co- on the college level. He wasn't a good D.C. at Tennessee. But the one thing is, he knows he's not a D.C. now. He's comfortable in his own skin as a position coach. He will stay, I think, for two or three seasons as long as he's paid well. I think Nick Saban's excited about that. And he, and Bo Davis knows he's not a coordinator either. He wants to come back to Alabama. He wants to be the D-line coach. He he did a good job in the NFL. He developed Deshaun Handen into the best rookie defensive lineman in the league. But I think he really wants to be back on the college level. And I think that may be one reason why Raquan Davis came back. I think Raekwon... kind of knew something was in the wind, that there were going to be a change. Raquan came to Alabama due to Bo Davis, and I think Bo Davis can get Raekwon back to playing great football. We all know he didn't this year. He was lazy. He didn't, you know, I think he was kind of maybe even protecting himself at times. Can't do that anymore. Bo Davis won't tolerate that. The one thing about South Sunseri and Bo Davis, they're not going to tolerate it. They're going to get the best out of the players. Uh, But And I think maybe this year, too, uh, and, of course, Tosh LePoy had some unfortunate injuries. I mean, talk, another part of that Clemson game, the reason you talked, we talked about it, that Alabama got no pressure, is by the time you play that game, I mean, my goodness, you don't have three of your top four pass rushers. You don't have Christian Miller, who exactly. had a very good senior year, eight and a half sacks, he didn't play a down. And you don't have Terrell Lewis, first-round pick freak, probably, if he's healthy, and then Chris Allen. And so all you got left is Anthony Jennings. He's still recovering from injuries as well. So even Alabama, after all that, cannot recover from those kind of injuries. And when you take that with a team like Clemson, who has a a Trevor Lawrence young man who's an elite talent, they've recruited not maybe at Alabama's level but damn close, and they've got a coaching staff that's been together a long time, a lot of them your former teammates. They were just loaded for bear, and they got Brent Venables, one of the best defensive minds in college football. It was a perfect storm. And they kicked the shit out of Alabama, and Alabama got what they deserved. But now they've got to try to reload and re, and, uh, you know, and come back strong. And I just think right now, I'll go back over it again. I think the coaching staff, when all said and done in April, we're going to see uh, Steve Sarkeesian, quarterback coach, OC. We're going to see running back coach, Charles Huff, uh, and probably run game coordinator. Uh, and then we're going to see the wide receivers, Holman Wiggins, uh, Kyle Flood, offensive line, as you said, William, Jeff Banks, tight ends, special teams, uh, and then on the defensive side, you're going to see Pete Golding, inside linebackers, defensive coordinator. You're going to see Bo Davis at D-line. You're going to see South Sunsari at outside backers, and then you're going to see uh, cornerbacks. Uh, it could be, uh, you know, uh, Charles Kelly, but I think that's going to be safeties, and I think corners is going to be Carl Scott. And, I, and instead of going six and four like he did with the coaching staff last year, he's going to go back to a, a five and five on each side of the ball, and I think that's a solid staff. We'll see how it all works out. But I like the the mix of experience and youth. And, and again, I like having several guys back, especially on defense, that know what Nick Saban wants.
0: Sounds good to me. Yeah,
1: it certainly does. Thomas, did you want to add something?
2: Well, I just wanted to touch real briefly on the national championship game from a statistical standpoint, because you kind of stole some of them fire with the the, the, the pressure game. But anyway, it's really, 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 really hard from a statistical standpoint to get 500 yards of total offense, which is where Alabama was essentially, and only get 16 points. I, I would be willing to bet if you looked at every game that's been played over the past 10 years, you wouldn't see more than 10 games with that sort of weird stat line. So I think the I think you're right in that there were tendencies in the red zone that came and bit Alabama in the butt um but I also think that the point has been completely missed by the vast majority of commentators that Trevor Lawrence struggled against rushing like just straight rush, rushing with three rushing with four well. In order to power up rushing with three, rushing with four, you can't just have interior pressure and you can't just have exterior pressure. You've got to have pressure from the outside of the defense, from either a defensive end or a jack linebacker, and from the interior of the defense, from the defensive tackle positions. I mean, look at what the L.A. Rams did to Drew Brees this past weekend once the Rams kind of settled in. Aaron Donald and Ndamukong Su pushed the pocket up the A-gaps, and Dante Fowler had a whale of a time just running out and collapsing the pocket from the outside. That's the sort of thing that Alabama needed to do against Trevor Lawrence. Unfortunately, and I don't really want to keep re-adjudicating this game much longer, the lack of external pressure complicated things to the point that it fell apart. But, you know, the one thing I will say, and, and, you know, Folks are. It, it bothers me when folks can't understand and realize at an intellectual level that they're being prisoners of the moment. It, you know, I, I was I was in Hawaii at the time. I, for for people that haven't listened to the show recently because we haven't been around. I got a paper published at a conference in Hawaii. That's why we haven't been able to do the show. So I was in Hawaii watching this national championship game and it was mid-afternoon, so it was kind of a kick in the pants. But anyway, you know, you listen to the aftermath and Alabama fans are hitting the let's fire everybody, blow up everything button. And you know, I admit that before I go running we'll run to a keyboard, I was somewhat frustrated, but I had to flash back to something William always says, and I'm just going to say it once and leave it at that because I'd actually like to hear a little more about recruiting, Drew. The angry little man is still in his office in, uh, in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Now, is Nick Saban, the angry little man, perfect? Hell no. None of us are. And I think Nick Saban has realized he made some mistakes. Over the past 18 months, I also think it wasn't really his fault because I don't think Nick Saban planned for Jeremy Pruitt to leave to go to Tennessee because that hire came out of flipping nowhere. But I can't blame Jeremy Pruitt for taking the job either. So Nick Saban made some mistakes. He's trying to collect, fix the mistakes. I'm not going to worry about it beyond that, to be quite honest with either of you. So, you know, passing it back to you, Drew, you know, can you update us on recruiting or are you welcome to reply to what I had to say?
1: Well, I'll do the recruiting in a second, but what I'll say is, and I said this and I meant it, and th- again, I'm not throwing. I, I still don't. I- I'm not. I'm not gonna because though th- they were 14 and one, they won the SEC. They still had a hell of a year. They just didn't finish and go 15 and 0. And unfortunately, the old rush says, You build the beast. You got to feed it. That's what the. That's the way it is. I don't regret him giving Mike Loxley his opportunity. All right. Mike Loxley was probably an average offensive coordinator. He had a lot of talent around him, but they still had a hell of a lot of success. They just didn't beat the Clemson Tigers, and Clemson's the only fucking team in the country, pardon my French, that can beat them, okay? And for once, Nick Saban's team won on talent. That's how talented this squad was. It wasn't on coaching because look at Tosh Lupoy. He was overmatched as a a defensive coordinator. And the most fascinating part of going into 2019 is Nick Saban is gambling, and it's still a gamble. How good is Pete Golding? Because if Pete Golding doesn't cut it, then they're not going to win the national championship next year, and that'll probably be Pete having to move on. But he is banking on Pete Golding being the guy they hired that took UT San Antonio, and I know that's not the SEC, but he took them from 110th or whatnot, 108th in defense, in two years to seventh, and he and Bo Davis uh, helped develop Marcus Davenport into a first-round pick at defensive end. He's banking on him being able to help put together this defense, and you know, and with the help of some of his you know uh, veteran assistants like a South Sun and a Bo Davis, who I think will be in, and even Charles Kelly. Charles Kelly was a defensive coordinator. Here's the cool part: even Carl Scott, who was a defensive coordinator at Texas Tech. All of these guys surrounding Pete Golding have been defensive coordinators. So ain't no, there ain't going to be any excuses when it comes to Alabama being good on defense next year. They got Raquan Davis back, Quinn and Williams, all the guys that left. Let's touch on that real quick. Quinn and Williams had to go. Dude might go number one. If he doesn't, he's going top five. The dude was unblockable. He was unbelievable. He earned his money. Go ahead. Jonah Williams left tackle. Uh, he, he settled in. I've seen some clowns on the Internet saying he's not going to be a first-round pick. Fire their ass.
0: <laughs> they don't
1: know shit about foot. That's why they're not big. Uh, whatever organization or whoever they work for is going straight down the toilet because I'm telling you, he's a top-ten pick. That is absolute absurdity. I know he's struggling a little bit against Clemson, but my God, look at his film. And so and so he, he needs to go get paid. I don't blame him at all. Go get your money. And then, of course, and then you've got Josh Jacobs. I mean, Daniel Jeremiah, who I have a lot of respect for. Now, I don't think this is going to happen. It would be unbelievable if it did. He had Josh in his first mock going fifth overall. But I will say this. I think he is going to be the top running back. He made a great comparison to Alvin Kamara's career and Josh. I think if Josh works out and interviews as well as I think he's going to, I would not be shocked if he goes in the lower part of the first round. Now, could he go in the – But will he go past the second? No, he will not. And if the Kansas City Chiefs draft Josh Jacobs in the first round, their offense will be illegal because he fits them perfectly. He's a first-round talent, but they devalue running backs. But I still think Josh made the right decision. He, he mispracticed leading up to the national championship game because he had his second child. He has two kids. I completely understand he needed to go pro, man. It's the ready for Najee Harris and the most underrated player on the football team, Brian Robinson, to step forward. So I'm I'm ha- I'm 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 down with that. I Irv Smith, I was hoping he would come back, but I understand his dad was a first round pick. It's you know a lot of tight ends went pro, but I still think if he works out as well as I think he could sneak into the first round as well. So I really wasn't surprised he left because, you know, he had a hell of a season better than any statistically that O.J. Howard had. He's, I think he's he's not as a freak of an athlete as O.J., but I think he's a better functioning football player. He's a much better blocker. So I think when he's t- like uh, as a, 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 a compatriot of Williams, I know William is not a big Cole Kubelik guy, but my God, Cole Kubelick, you got to – Oh, no, 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 no. Hold on a
0: second. Hold on a second, Drew. Um, yeah. You know, don't, don't put words in my mouth.
2: Okay, I think
0: I, Cole I, Kubelik. I no, hang on a second. I want to go on the record right now. I think Cole Kublik. for people that want to learn about what goes on in the trenches on both sides of the football, for people that are out there in social media, which I'm, I'm certainly not one of them, and, and thank God for people that are, Cole is. Right. I think Cole Kublick is the best thing going in college football. He knows how to break that stuff down. He knows how to look at it. I'm a Cole Kublick fan as far okay. as that goes.
1: I'll, I'll clarify that that's clarified. But, I mean, I know you saw what he did. I mean, there was some idiot coach that came that wouldn't put his name on it and came off the record and said Irv couldn't block. Well, Cole Kubelik went proceeded to get put four clips up on the Internet of him eviscerating people and saying that it's garbage, and you ought to have to put your name on it. And I just think that Irv's got a, a good all-around game. I think you know the depth of the position may hurt him a little bit, but if his lineage is going to work. His dad played a long time, and I still don't blame him for leaving. I still think he could sneak into that first round. So those guys right there, and even Deontay Thompson. Deontay Thompson had a hard decision to make. He didn't play as well the second half of the year, but he put a lot of good stuff on tape. Uh, Mike Dettelier is a draft expert I have a lot of respect for that joins Talking Ball a lot from Louisiana. He felt like Deontay was one of the top two safeties in the draft, and as he told me, this group this year is not going to be as deep as next year for the safeties. So in his mind, since Deontay's healthy, he needs to come out and he can be a first-round pick. So I still think Deontay can be a first-round pick as well. I don't blame those uh, those those five guys for coming out, man. That didn't shock me at all because I think Alabama can – they're not going to have an Irv on the team but they can still have a guy like miller forstall who can be a solid player who just had to wait behind Irv. he wasn't as good a player but maybe he's going to seize the moment now and of course it's sad that kedrick james has got himself deep in the crapper he's a talented guy but he's never put it all together because of his uh, being soft mentally and not doing you know maybe what the staff wanted him to but still you know so he he they and they lost, and they, and they lost a, a character guy and a captain like Hale hinches he was a great kid, so they're going to have to you know, rebuild it at tight end a little bit, but I do think miller Forrestall is a guy that can give them some good, uh, some good reps and, and some good play. We'll see what happens uh, with a guy like Major Tennyson, who really hadn't had a chance to play a whole lot, who I know they've liked as a player, uh, and then they, they're going to bring in Billingsley. They're going to try to bring in uh, in recruiting. And to go back to the recruiting st- stuff, I think that they, they really would like to sign uh, this Brett Seether uh, from Clearwater, Florida. He's 6'5", 230. He visited Georgia last week. He's more of an H-back tight end, but they'd like to sign him. He's coming in on his official visit this weekend. Uh, you know, they. I think uh, he, he and, uh, uh, of course, Ismail Sopcher are big-time targets, and Henry Toa Toa, uh, the middle linebacker. Pete Golding has taken over the recruitment of Toatoa. Toa. We know Jeremy Pruitt and Tennessee have made a big move with him. They've got Kevin Simon on their off-field staff. It's, a, it's a, an alum of his high school. And Tosh LePoy, being an alum for Alabama, had put Alabama in strong position. Now we'll see how Toa Toa reacts to Alabama's coaching staff. Uh, but he's a talented guy. But Alabama's not putting all their eggs in one basket on the last recruiting weekend. They've got Daniel Himuli coming in, another outstanding middle linebacker prospect. If you watch the Polynesian Bowl, he put on a show – he would be another excellent prospect if they don't think they can get Toa Toa. But I think right now Alabama feels good about Keelan Robinson, the running back. I think Charles Huff can keep him committed. He's, he, he suffered a little bit of an injury in high school his senior year, but they still love his explosion. I know Michael Oxley was very high on him. They've got Keelan Robinson committed. Byron Young, that's somebody that Pete Golding is going to have to keep committed. And I think if Byron knows a guy like Bo Davis is coming, I think there's a really good chance he sticks, even though he's going to visit Ole Miss and LSU. But I think Byron Young is a guy that they think they can keep committed, no doubt about it. Uh, and I think uh, they they feel like uh, that, that uh, overall that the recruiting is looking pretty strong to, to finish because they've already got, got Keelan Robinson committed and Chris Bogle and uh, you know Nick Saban. There's always a method to the madness. Now, Chris Bogle really loved Tosh Lepoy, really loves Kuliagowski. Kuliagowski is still there technically. And the other thing is, his lead recruiter, Joe Panunzio is still there, has a very strong relationship with his dad, and two of his other top four schools were Tennessee and Florida. Well, guess who his lead recruiter for Florida was? Sal he's now in He's now employed by Alabama. Guess who his lead recruiter for Tennessee was? Charles Kelly. He's now employed by Alabama. So I think they still feel like with the relationship with the family, even though Bogle is going to visit Florida and Miami, they feel like they can hold on to Bogle, so... They feel like they can hold on to those three guys committed, Byron Young, Bogle, and Keelan Robinson. And then it's all about Henry Toa Toa or Daniel Hamouli at linebacker. They want to get one of those two. They want to get Seether at tight end. We'll see about that this weekend. Uh, and, then, and then we'll see about Ismail Sopcher. Uh, but they're not putting all their eggs in that basket, though, William. I know there's another young man that you really like that's going to visit. I, I, I don't think he, he visits next week, not this week. But they've got Kayshawn Fuller coming in. If something goes sideways with Ismail Sopcher, I don't think this brother thing is going to be a sticking point, but if it turned into one or if Sopcher just, you know, they weren't satisfied with what they hear on the visit, they've got Kayshawn Fuller and Jacquez Sorrels who they're still recruiting, and even this young man Hunt, uh, who is a, a late riser from New York, coming in this weekend too. So I think Alabama has enough irons in the fire where they're going to sign six players, but I think D-line-wise – if I had to to, to 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 tell you who the priorities are, it would be Byron Young and Sopshire with a close third being Kashawan Fuller and William to go back to that point, I know you're very high on Fuller as you've watched his film
0: yes, um you know I'm not really worried about what's going on i mean i i want I want to get uh, Byron Young without a doubt but yes. Based on what I've seen on the film, um, you know, give me Byron Young and give me Kayshawn Fuller and call it a day, and then all of a sudden you've got to, you know, put the onus back on the coaching staff for, you know, do you take a second tight end in the Schaefer kid? Um, maybe so. But I love Byron Young, number one. He, he's a stud. Um, this Sean Fuller kid, you know, he's, he's got the same principles that made uh, Marcel Darius great, that made Antonio Alfano great. Um, he's got the same principles. Um, you know, he's not an elite edge rusher. He's a guy that's going to move inside to being a, uh, you know, a three technique defensive tackle type guy you know, kind of in the line of a a Dalvin Tomlinson, Um, you know, give me that guy and and let me go out there and tackle the rest of the world. I love Byron Young and Quayshawn Fuller.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I think both those guys are big-time players. And as we said, Alabama is going to have a small group uh, slated to visit. Uh, Once again, to go over that, Ismail Sopcher will be in this weekend. Uh, and so will Henry Toa Toa. I know how to say his name. Took about eight, nine months. Uh, same way with uh, T- Talia Tungovaloa. But Henry Toa Toa will be in this weekend. Uh, Javon Shepard, we didn't talk about him. There is a possibility the young man could visit. He's an offensive tackle prospect from Houston, Texas, who's committed to Texas. But I really think Alabama is full on the offensive line. He may not make that visit. I know Texas A&M is trying to flip him uh, very hard. And then Brett Seether, uh, he is the tight end we talked about from Clearwater, Florida. He will be in this weekend. And I think honestly they wouldn't be taking him if Irv Smith had come back. Irv Smith did not come back, uh, and so and another another player I'll be interested in, in the spring to see how much he, how much progress he's made physically is Michael Parker, the tight end from Westminster Christian. He made some plays last year in some scrimmages, but he was a freshman. He needed to you know add weight and really get better as a blocker before he's going to be a huge factor because, again, that was the most underrated part of Irv Smith's game. Certainly he was a dynamic receiver, but he was a hell of a blocker and always did his job. So the favorite going in, I think, especially uh, with Kedrick James being uh, with Deontay, along with Deontay Brown being just in the crapper right now uh, to be, be suspended by the NCAA, I don't think we'll see Elliott Baker again, but Baker also suspended due, I think, all three of them failing an NCAA test. Then that's going to open the door for Miller Forrestall uh, and uh, and of course Major Tennyson and some of these guys and even Michael Parker uh, to see what they can do this spring and uh, and 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 because I, I think Billingsley Jaleel Billingsley from Chicago he's got talent he looks great off the hoof but I'm not sure he's going to be ready physically to take on the load this year and even this kid Brett Cedar they, they they're kind of setting themselves up for the future for those two guys but right now Miller Forrestall missed a year with an ACL. This is his golden opportunity, ironically, split time at quarterback with none other than Trevor Lawrence at Cartersville High School. But this will be his chance to uh, carve out a role for himself and be a a bigger part of the offense this year, no doubt about it. But Brett Seether will visit. And then, as I said, Jared Harrison Hunt uh, from uh, Christ the King High School in uh, Middle Village, New York, will visit as well. I think he's a backup plan, uh, as William was talking about. I think the the coaching staff has to doubly make sure they like where they are uh, with Ismail Sobsher and then maybe go with him. But if not, Keshawn Fuller, who's committed to Florida State, very softly, I might add, because you can tell his he and his mother really like Alabama. If they decided on that last weekend next week to push for Keshawn Fuller, I think they could make that happen. Uh, that would be you know a, a you know a, a boon for Alabama. And I think also what we need to talk about is we're winding it down the last few minutes. Though William, you just brought up Antonio Alfano in the final two four seven rankings. We all knew that he was going to probably jump up into five star status. We could all see it on tape. We could all see a freak what the freak he, he was. Uh, our guy uh, that uh, we know, Dave Slapoy from New Jersey, uh, aka New Jersey Tide on Facebook. He's very outspoken, but he has been on the Antonio Alfano bus the whole time. He helped hook me up with Antonio. I talked to him and interviewed him before he went to the high school All-Star Game, formerly known as the, uh, all, it's now the All-American Game. It used to be the Army Game. But that young man, he didn't just go to five-star, William. He skyrocketed all the way to the number one player in the country. But I know, much like Dave, you've been a champion of Antonio Alfano, and he certainly didn't disappoint in that All-Star Game setting.
0: No, he did not, and I thought it was – probably drew in, in my mind the easiest kid to rank that i've ever seen uh, maybe going all the way back to uh 2008 with marcel darius um you know th- this is what you know for all the, the you know the amateur football watchers out there that think they can watch film and see who a guy is that's going to you know factor in and play a little bit and do all that other good stuff there there there's plenty of people out there that think they can do that but if there's one guy that I've ever seen from watching film um that, that, that factored in and, and I said hey this guy's going to be a first round draft pick um and before I ever said what I did about Antonio Alfano um I did a little bit of research and I went really deep into this deal, Drew, and mm-hmm. I, I did it with a guy by the name of J.J. Watt.
1: Ah, yes.
0: And so I, I, I went real deep, and, and I compared what J.J. Watt tested out with coming out of Wisconsin as mm-hmm. a junior at Wisconsin. Right, right. With his testing number. And I compared it to what Antonio Alfano was coming out with as a senior in high school. And so, you know, because, <clears throat> excuse me, I love, you know, trolling other fan bases and, you know, getting in there. You know, I know just enough about what it takes to play, you know, college football to piss all these other people off. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, I was doing that with Antonio Alfano. Um, I knew what he was before I ever did this, but when I got, you know, digging deep into, you know, you know there, there's a lot of different dynamics that goes into, you know, this Drew. It's, you know, watching film, you know, and you can't just watch highlights. You've got to watch the game tape. Right, but, right. I got to watching Antonio Alfano's highlights. And so, of course, the next thing I did was I went back and I watched all of his games. And so, you know, before I made the statement, I wanted to make sure that I was, you know, on board with this whole thing. And I said, well, you know, is this guy Marcel Darius? You know, I checked off all the boxes because, you know, you've, you've got to. Um, you know, get this, you know, get this deal right. And I was like, you know, hey, so is he Marcel Darius? Is he J.J. Watt? So um, I went back and I watched it all and, and I looked at the testing results. And, and then again, I came back to the same point zero. And that, that's what I want to tell Alabama fans is this. Um, if you want to get excited about somebody that has come into the Alabama football program and I can tell you this unequivocally um, because it was easier for me when Marcel Darius was coming out of high school um, to get excited about him and there was no defensive lineman in inner city Alabama I mean Birmingham football doing what Marcel Darius was doing so that was, you know, something that hit home. It was easier to see. So, that's not really apples to apples with what Antonio Alfano was doing. So, when I first was, you know, presented this kid to look at Antonio Alfano two years ago, somebody said, "Hey, what do you think about this guy?" And I'm like, "Okay, you know, he's six Um, He's 285 pounds. Um, You know, this is what he's been tested against. Um, I've seen his results. I mean, is this guy legit? Uh, Yeah, he is. So then I have to go digging, Drew, and I have to say, well, is is there somebody that I can compare this kid to? Um, So, of course, you know, that sends me off into the deep end of the pool where nobody can hurt me or touch me. And I have to go looking for somebody to compare to Antonio Alfano. Uh, and, you know, this is good news for not just, you know, the state of college football, but for the state of Alabama football. So I had to go looking for somebody to compare Antonio Alfano as a high school senior. Even though he's an early enrollee at Alabama, um, that I think he compares to. So I went looking, it, and I looked hard, and the only thing that I could find comparable to was what J.J. Watt did. Mm-hmm. At you know he, he's he's a little bit longer, a little bit taller. Let let's don't diminish that. He's a little, you know, he might be, you know, an inch taller, might be, you know, longer arms, whatever. But we did that. But I got to digging, and I saw what J.J. J. Watt did coming out of Wisconsin as, I think, a junior. I think that's what he was.
1: Yeah, he was. And I compared
0: it to what Antonio Alfano did this year as an 18-year-old uh, high school senior. And when the results came back, it was not even close. I think the only thing that Watt had close to Antonio Feno was the 20-yard split. Mm-hmm. But other than that, um, it was Antonio Feno all day long, better than J.J. Watt. Um, I will say this. I think J.J. Watts a little bit longer, um, but at the same time, Alabama is fixing to get the best five-technique defensive end prospect I have ever seen since I have been graduated or abused from uh, my position as a 1993 member of the senior class of Alabama football, best prospect on the defensive line I've ever seen.
1: Yeah, and I mean that's that's saying a lot. I mean because I remember how high you were on Marshall Darius. You called him a stone killer. He certainly ended up being that. And the and I think the uh, the biggest thing that's exciting is if Bo Davis comes back with like we are anticipating. He will be able to work with such young guys as an Antonio Alfano. Uh, I mean, th- that guy is a freak of nature. Uh, he'll have Braylon Ingraham coming in. I love Justin at Bogby. He's completely underrated. I know he's raw, but he'll be able to uh, get a hold of him early. And then you got Byron Young, William. I know you talked about him. Some people compare him to a young Dalvin Tomlinson. And the most underrated player in all this deal I wouldn't even give a shit if they didn't sign Ismail Sopcher, if they took Kayshaun Fuller, because I think Fuller's a high-caliber player. You've already got T.J. Dale, the early enrollee, who is a really good football player and completely underrated uh, from Quay Chalkville. I saw him play. I love his athleticism and his playmaking. So regardless, Alabama, I think, is going to get six quality defensive linemen from the high school ranks, and Bo Davis could have a huge impact on developing them to go along with Raquan. Federian Mathis, who I think has a chance to be a good player, and then a guy that could be a breakout. Who it's that's another mystery for me why he didn't play more in the playoff. And that is Lebron Ray. We didn't see a lot of Ray. I, I know he got a you know a DUI the other day. He'll have to put that behind him. But I still think going into his junior year that Lebron Ray is going to take a step forward and be a shit kicker on that defensive line. I really I think this group will be much improved. I think they'll be good. What's gonna happen? The the, the pressure point defensively because they'll have a lot of depth coming back on defense. And I'll say this: we I'm to, we're wrapping up here. But the two other two guys that went pro. No disrespect, Mac Wilson's a talented player. I still think he'll play a while in the NFL. Probably be a third or a fourth round draft pick. He didn't play with instinct. I know Pete Golding has told some people he didn't study the way he should have, and it showed. I think he was a me guy. Not gonna miss that cat. It's not quite to a trade to priest level, but. I still, cause I think Mac made more plays, but I'm not going to miss Mac Wilson. I mean, I it's kind of addition by subtraction. Uh, I think Dylan Moses can slide over, and then of course they can develop Ale Keho, Jalen Moody. I think those guys will uh, have a fresh start, and I think hopefully Pete Golding, uh, with a year in his, under his belt, can get a lot out of those guys. Uh, you know, Mac Wilson, uh, just like I say, he he was a good coverage backer. He struggled as a three-down player, uh, and then so. Ah, uh, not really sad that he left. And then let's just be honest with the Savion Smith situation. When you take a dive, which is basically what he did, and fake an injury, your ass is grass. He had nothing to stand on. He could he, he was either going to transfer to another school, which would have been four and four years, and then finish his career, or go pro. Might as well go pro now. He can't run. He's going to have to move to safety. He probably won't even be drafted. And I'll just say this. If he's drafted and my guy Levi Wallace wasn't, who went off on went on to make people look stupid again because he's the highest rated rookie corner in the NFL, because he couldn't he didn't run great. So there's a lot of people with his slight build and not great speed. They didn't draft him, but they should have. But if Savion Smith gets drafted and Levi didn't, then just fire that team's uh, you know, personnel department because they don't know what the hell they're doing. Like I said on Twitter, some clown said he was a third-round draft choice in the NFL, and I said, what draft? The, the Canadian Football League? Because that kid couldn't play. He got, this, he got in big games. He got really exposed for most of his t- one year at Alabama. I think they'll be better off without him. They'll have Trevon Diggs back. Uh, they're going to have, of course, Sertain, who has some rough moments in the playoffs but is a hell of a player. And then you got Jalen Armour Davis coming back from the injury, uh, who can really play. You've got Eddie Smith. You've got some young players and then coming in Jordan Battle. They're going to have plenty of talent in the secondary, plenty of talent, I think, on the D-line, but we're, especially the young guys, too. It's going to come down to the middle linebackers, and Pete Golding is going to have to develop these guys because you're going to have, hopefully, a healthy, for his sake, he deserves it, Uh, Terrell Lewis, an outside linebacker with Anthony Jennings, that's a hell of a combination. You're going to have a Chris Allen who can really play. You're going to have a Yabi and Noma, so they're going to have the talent there. It's just Can you develop and get more consistency out of that middle linebacker group? If you can, if if Pete Golding does, and if he's the defensive coordinator, like a Kirby Smart, like a Jeremy Pruitt that that, that Nick Saban is backing on, Alabama, I'll go ahead and say it. They will have the best defense in college football because Clemson lost too much talent. And I, I have a lot of respect for Clemson staff and Brent Venables, but Alabama will be better on that side of the ball. And I would pay money, and hopefully we'll get a chance to see that, to see a healthy Alabama defense face Trevor Lawrence and see how he likes 24 getting after his ass, which will be a lot tougher than what he saw this year. So we'll see where all that goes, and, uh, we'll, and we'll certainly in the next you know uh, edition of BAMS, when we come to you again, we'll probably come to you after National Signing Day, and then we'll break down the rest of the recruiting class, and we'll start to take a look at some of these uh, early enrollees, and William and I can, especially William, he does a great job, especially with these offensive and defensive linemen, and we'll try to break down for you what kind of impact they may have in spring practice. But we wanted to wrap it up here. I want to thank all the listeners. Thanks for being patient with us. We finally bring you another edition of BAMS Radio uh, you know, after uh, several weeks' time. But we'll be back after National Signing Day on uh, in February, uh, on February uh, the, the 6th. We'll be back shortly after that, and we'll bring you another edition of BAMS Radio. But we really appreciate everybody listening. We appreciate all the support for Thomas Watts, the wizard. And he's back in the saddle for William Redfish Barger. I'm Judy Armin. Good night, everybody, and Roll Tide.
2: Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino.